Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. To bring God's Word to God's people every now and again. And I do not take that for granted. Father, we thank you. We ask that as we go into your Word tonight, everyone is blessed, edified, strengthened, encouraged through the teaching of your Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, can I hear or read your loudest amen <laughs> amen and amen praise god before i go right along i'll just like to mention this to everyone who is here listening um the portion of faith and grace and virtue that you receive from any ministry from any minister from any teaching from any sermon is not commensurate to how much you honor god no it is commensurate to how much you receive the man that he has sent. This is very important. All right. This is very important. So everybody fears God. Everybody honors God. When you see him, you don't have to decide to fear. Every of your faculty will fear before you even choose to. He is God. Do you see? He is God. He's a fearful God. All right. So there's no one in this world, including demons, that is not afraid of God. Everyone is afraid. Everyone is in reverential honor and fear of him. But you see how he really knows those who truly honor him is when he empowers people who are benign, innocuous, people who do not seem so powerful. He imbues them with his power. And then he watches how people reflect their honor in how they receive those people. That is how he knows that you really honor him. When he places himself in things that are fiery, that you really did not fear him. You were only afraid of not dying. That is why you responded in fear. But when he puts himself in pressing vessels, and then he asks you to receive them in the name of God, and you receive them in that state, then he knows you really fear him, that you are not waiting to be scared to fear. You're not waiting to be scared to honor. You honor because you can receive God, even in virtues that do not look like him. That is what it really means to honor. And, and so tonight and every other time that you receive God's word through the ministry of our pastors, through the ministry of our directors and the leaders in the house, I want you to receive them in the name of the prophet. I want you to receive them in the name of God. I want you to receive them in God's stead. Because there are people who say we love God, we fear God, we honor God, but they will see Jesus and they will stone him to death. You see, this is the very essence of God. But they will see him in a very, you know, harmless looking man who is walking the streets of Nazareth, who cannot really hurt a fly. And they cannot imagine that that same guy will be God. They can't imagine. They can't wrap their heads around it. You see, that is what exactly, that is what a lot of people do. You, you, you love God only when he acts godly. You love and you know, honor God only when he acts in that braggadocious, you know, effervescent way that makes everywhere tremble. That, that is when we really say we honor and fear God. But you see, our honor and our fear of him is tested or is most tested when the things that happen in our environment, the teaching of God's word doesn't come with that toga of, excitement or reverberating fear and anxiety you see that is when we can say you know what i truly honor the vessels that god has imbued with power to communicate his word with simplicity and i think it's important for us to mention these things these and many more we'll still talk about as we continue to explore the idea of the high definition disciple all right because there is a way a disciple who is properly taught in god's word should behave 
All right, so that's just to introduce this thought because I just think it's important for us to have that at the back of our minds that uh, it is God who is speaking, even though he uses the instruments and the agency of mortal vessels. All right, so please receive, receive me as I am, all right? <laughs> but listen to that which I speak to you today. By the grace of God, all right, I'll be sharing on what I have titled <laughs> in honor of PD, okay? This teaching has two titles, interestingly. It has two, two titles. I'll, I'll mention the second title towards the end of the, of the session. It's not so much of a teaching, quite honestly, as much as it is a charge, all right? It's, it's more of a charge. I just wanna charge you up, amen. Uh, I just wanna exhort you. I want to exhort you, charge you up, and just get you fired up in some way. All right, so I've titled this teaching the Nebuchadnezzarization of things. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzarization of things. Who got that? All right, that's in honor of PD, our founding pastor. It's such an honor to, you know, to 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 be under his ministration. You know, just in in the spirit of what I just shared with you now, I've listened to PD for a long time, for perhaps over ten years, actively listening to his teachings. I remember one time listening to. Um, over 50 episodes of his teaching on David, you know, the Davidics, very long sessions back then, you know, um, in service here. And so I've been listening to PD way before I started attending CBC. And quite honestly, I've listened to PD so much that there is, you know, almost no thought that he shares in his teachings that I may not have heard before. But, you know, I realized that every single time I hear him again, even though I'm familiar with those independent thoughts that he shares. My attitude to listening to him is what justifies my blessing. That's what justifies my blessing. He's not exactly in what he says. So there was this teaching that he did recently at Abuja when he went there and he just taught. I mean, it was so powerful. I mean, at least if I, if I combine those thoughts together, I've heard them before. But the experience I had listening to those teachings, the way he gave them and delivered them, I realized I was so blessed. I was just so blown away by the amount of wisdom that they were sharing. And I'm like, what resulted? What is the cause of this way that I feel? It's because I received him not just as the guy I've been listening to for the past 10 years, but as someone who is anointed for my lifting. He's anointed to speak a word in season to me. He's anointed for it. Even if it's the same thing he says every single day, if I hear it in a different way based on the way I perceive him in honor, I will be blessed 10,000 different ways every single time he speaks. All right? It's, it's, the, it's the depth of honor that justifies the blessing. It's not in the differentiation in what is spoken about. It's the depth of honor. And that's what I think as a church, we need to imbibe. We need to imbibe. As a generation, over, over uh, generally now, as a generation, we, we get fancy, we get you know, excited about excellency of speech. We get excited about when things are different, when things are you know, exciting, they tingle the ear, they, 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 they help you get fascinated. You're fascinated by the differentiation, by the, you know, the, the, the inspirational, ver uh, um, should I say, the inspirational side of things. You know, when, when someone begins to sound high sounding, and it begins to use intelligent words and begins to use things you've never heard before and dazzles you. You, you feel more, yeah, this guy is speaking to me, same stuff, you know, he's, he's dazzling me, all right? But that's not what justifies you being blessed by the virtue of what that person carries. That's not what really justifies it. It's the depth of honor that you demonstrate to the vessel that God has anointed for your lifting. That's what guarantees that you will be blessed after an episode of teaching. 
That's what guarantees it. And I really think the Holy Spirit would have us just ruminate on that and think about that. All right. So PD is someone that, you know, uh, and he's in town, like I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago. All right. Um, he's someone that we all need to revere and honor. I remember going to VHF and I saw the fruit of his labor and I was just in total awe of the grace of God upon that man. You know, uh, the same man you look at and say, ah, it's PD now, PD now, PD now. But when you see the fruit of his ministry, it's just remarkable what God has been able to do through that man. It's such a privilege to be connected to him in such a direct, you know, direct way. And um, of course, we'll be, we'll be heading out for the meeting on Sunday evening as well, just to hear him share with us from his heart. And, and it's the same vein, in the same line that we should now cascade that level of honor to those who are now directly over us in, in terms of our shepherds, our leaders, our pastors, our directors, our HODs, you know, it's extremely important. It's extremely important. Without that, there is no spirit in the house. That's the truth. Honor is the spirit of every house. Honor is the spirit of every house. All right. Uh, um, praise the name of the Lord. The Lord. So uh, Esther captured the title, the Nebuchadnezzarization of things. Nebuchadnezzarization of things. Amen. All right. All right. Wow. That's quite an introduction. Um, I need to run. I, I may be needing a few minutes extra so i'm asking in advance now i may not ask by the time i need it amen and amen daniel chapter 2 daniel chapter 2 we may not need to read the entire thing maybe we should just read a few verses in daniel chapter 2 such a huge blessing such a huge blessing and in the year and in the second year of the reign nebuchadnezzar nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him are we still together? All right. I hope you can hear me because okay. I may need to turn off the fan. Okay. Praise God. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king is dream. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. And my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then speak the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Then the king answered and said unto the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream we'll, with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be caught in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you will show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show him the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know not, I know of certainty that ye would gain time, all right? Because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. you <laughs> for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered and said to the king, there is not a man, wow, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter 
Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things as any magician or astrologer or child. This is just so insulting, really. But to think that the magician will stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar and say that, guy, you're stupid. For thinking of even asking of a asking us to interpret this type of dream. Nobody asks this kind of question. I mean, you do not know your dream, but you want people who do not know the dream to know the dream and then the interpretations thereof. Nobody asks this kind of question. And then it says, and it's a rare thing that the king require it. And there's none other than that show it before the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Uh, let me not go further than that. That's 13 verses. Really, really powerful. And you see, you probably be wondering, why did I choose to title this teaching uh, after Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar is known for all the wrong things in this world. I mean, even in this particular instance or passage of scripture, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was asking a very ridiculous request of the magicians and the astrologers. How do you dream a dream? And then you are asking people who were not with you while you dreamt, who are not privy to what you dreamt, all right, to know the dream and then the interpretation thereof. It was very ridiculous for anybody to ask. And so there is really no context that I've ever heard Nebuchadnezzar talk about in scripture that was positive. Except, of course, when he wrote that impressive phrase unto God after I became, you know, an animal for a couple of years. All right. Uh, um, but in this context, I, the, the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes to see one good thing about Nebuchadnezzar. You know, it's really impressive the way God sees the good about everybody. It really doesn't matter how horrible they are. God can see something really useful about you and even use you as a weapon of war in passing across a message to a generation. All right. There is something to learn about King Nebuchadnezzar especially about his approach to his dream. There's something to learn about it. It was the level of insistence on the answer. That is, he will not take no for an answer. That is what I'm about to share with you today. The level of resilience, insistence, desperation that Nebuchadnezzar showed towards the interpretation of his dream, all right, towards giving his dream a chance at interpretation. If you will drive at your dreams and visions the way Nebuchadnezzar drove for his answer, you cannot be stopped, sir. You cannot be stopped. You cannot be stopped. All right, so this guy asked all kinds of questions just in a quest to get answers. He asked astrologers, he asked magicians, he asked every single person within his realm. He asked from books, he asked from literature, he asked from Google, he asked from mentors, he asked from counselors, he asked from history, he asked from imagination, he asked from colleagues, he asked from peers, he asked from subordinates, he asked from every single person he could find around his sphere. He asked from every Every book that was ever written concerning that subject matter. He just kept asking because he was not going to get no for an answer. He insisted on getting his dream interpreted, even if he stood the risk of being called obnoxious, weird, ridiculous, and insane. He did not mind. He did not care. Why do you think God refused to give a child of God that dream? Have you asked that question before? Why did God, in all of his majesty and glory, and in his commitments to his kingdom, why did he choose a man that was without to carry the weight of the dream that he gave unto Nebuchadnezzar? Why do you think he chose Nebuchadnezzar for such an assignment? Why didn't he put it on a man who is kind, little, gentle, you know, Joe, going about his business, loving the Lord and loving everybody else? Why didn't he put it in that kind of a guy's heart? 
Why did he put it in Nebuchadnezzar's heart? I really believe with all my heart that the reason why he put it in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and not in another person's heart is because only Nebuchadnezzar had the force of will to insist on an interpretation. Even if his environment was telling him it was impossible. Only Nebuchadnezzar had the strength, the brute force of his will to say it does not matter even if the whole world is against my will. I will persist until this dream is interpreted. It really does not matter who says what against this dream. I will see its interpretation. I will give it a chance at survival. Even if no, you see, the challenge with a lot of Christians is this. They will sacrifice significance for social acceptance. That's the challenge. So the first time they receive a naysayer, the first time they receive some measure of negativity against their dream, they will just give it up. They will just say, well, maybe it doesn't really matter after all. Something God gave you. God didn't speak to everybody. God gave that dream to you. Yet, you will sacrifice it on the altar of social acceptance. Just so that it can be socially accepted, you will erase your significance of the face of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar is not that kind of a man. And so God gave his dream a chance at survival by planting it in the heart of a man who will not take no for an answer, who will refuse the nonsense that the magicians were telling him and continue to search at all costs for an answer. That's the kind of man that Nebuchadnezzar was. He kept searching until he found his answers. He searched from books to materials to teachings to tapes. He went extreme measures, extreme measures, extreme measures. Another way to see this is this, that astrologers and magicians who were the naysayers were people he had relied on over all these years. These were the guys that if he needed anything to be interpreted within the context of the historical books and the prophetic books, these were the guys that he would consult. Remember the way Herod consulted his own version of the magicians and astrologers and the scribes in his time just to understand where Jesus was going to be born. This was the purpose of these guys around the king at the time. These were supposed to be like the counselors, the team of Aetophels, so that whenever he was about to make a decision that was that required data analytics, that required some sense of precision with respect to historical data, these were the guys that would set into the records and then combine it with their prophetic foresight, even though it was bewitched, all right, even though it was a corrupt version of prophetic, all right, they will combine that level of understanding of history with their understanding of how they can manipulate things to figure out the future, and then they will give the king a sense of direction. These were the guys that Nebuchadnezzar has come to be so dependent on all his years. But guess what? Nebuchadnezzar was willing to kill them. All of them, all for one dream. A dream he had not even known. A dream he had not even interpreted. A dream he did not even remember. But he was willing to kill all the people he had known all his life just for the chance of that dream to be to survive. Are you listening to what I'm saying here? That is, it is possible that the people that God has planted in, in, around your life, and maybe not God in that sense, but people that you have relied on over all these years of your life, they are the ones that the devil will enter just to ensure that that dream you have always wanted will not come to pass. That the dream that God has given you on the tablets of your heart will not have a chance at survival. And then it will enter a Peter. A Peter who is the chief of your own army staff. All right, the chief of staff. The guy who is the one leading your cronies. The guy who is the one leading your disciples. The devil will enter him so that he can speak a word to you so that you will give up on your dream. The devil may enter your mother, Mary. The devil may enter your father. The devil may enter your best friend. The devil will enter anybody he needs to enter just so that he can grow in 
enough credentials and credibility in order to stifle and suffocate the dream of God in your heart. But I came here to tell you today, do not let that old sway. Do not let anybody be so important that you will sacrifice your dream for them. Do not let anybody be to be so loud that you will sacrifice your dream for them. Do not let anybody to be that significant that you will sacrifice your dream for them. That is anyone who thinks your dream has to go for them to stay. They can as well be on their way because you will not give up your dream for anybody's stay in your life. I hope we're still together. They said it was impossible for him to achieve his interpretation. They said it was impossible. They said, except for immortals, it is impossible for you to be asking these questions of mortal men. How could you open your mouth and be asking mortal men to interpret a dream that you yourself do not know? This is an impossible task. Nobody has ever done this. Even God will take a while. He would have to search and search and search and give you an answer. A man has no chance at interpreting this dream. This is at the highest level of impossibility. If impossibility were ranked in terms of cadres and grades, this will be number one in terms of the degree of complexity that needs to be undergone for the chance of interpretation to show up. And you are asking us, we know we have magic. We know we have some form of power, but it, it never reached this level. These guys were the most informed. That is, these guys were the best at their craft. For them to be able to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and be the one he has, be the ones that he had depended on over all these years. These guys were the best in whatever they did. And this, imagine you go to CBN and CBN officials and economists and national treasurers are the ones giving you insights and concepts about what, what investment vehicle is viable or not viable. You know, there is a level of authority and credibility that you'll be speaking with. This is, this is what is going on here. Nebuchadnezzar is before the panel of professionals. He's before the panel of those who are experts. He's before the panel of those who have done it and been there, done that, who know what has happened in the past, who can predict what will happen in the future. And these are the guys telling you, this thing is not possible. But Nebuchadnezzar, he said, it does not matter what you guys say. I don't mind being the only man in the camp of my own vision. I don't mind being the only voice in the camp of my own dreams. If you guys all have to die for my voice to stand, I really do not mind. I will not give up my dream for your opinions. I will not. Nebuchadnezzar said, it doesn't matter what you guys say. You are all dead if you don't find an interpretation. It was impossible for the king Nebuchadnezzar to find answers to his prayers. They told him it was impossible. They told him it was impossible. <laughs> These were the guys he had relied on so long. Sometimes it is through your father that he will tell, start telling you that this thing you want to do, stop it. Stop thinking about this ministry. There's no way here. There's no son on back and there's no way here. And then you will lose your dream, lose your passion, lose your vision, lose that which God has given to you and covenanted you to do. On the platform of acceptance, socially, the devil is a liar. There's a lot to learn from Nebuchadnezzar. There's a lot to learn from Nebuchadnezzar. This was a dream he had not even as much as had a whole 24 hours with. He just woke up that morning with that sense of urgency and was willing to literally kill everybody that had been his ally for the past several years. What kind of commitment do you have to your dream that you're already expecting its fulfillment? This guy had not even, he didn't even know this dream for God's sake, but he was willing to kill and sacrifice everybody he had known for all his life, just so that he can give that dream a chance at survival. This is the kind of nature that God knew about Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that this guy was brutal. He knew this guy would do anything just so that he can get a chance at giving a dream, you know, the chance of survival. He knew. 
And so he said, you know what? There, there is no body on earth. Ah, there is no body on earth that I will drop this dream in his heart and will give this dream a good shot at survival like Nebuchadnezzar will. Nobody else. Nobody else. And so God placed it in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. No one is worth giving up your dreams for. No one is worth giving up your dreams, your dreams for. Anyone who will only stay in your life if you lose your dream should not be in your life to start with. That people will come into your life and then God calls you to do something and they'll start telling you, ah, this thing that you want to do with your life. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm that kind of a woman. No. I'm not sure I'm that kind of a, see, I'm an independent woman. I don't like all these kind of things. See, 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 I have my own dreams, I have my own passions, I have the things that God has told me to do. I have my own things that I want to do with my life. And so this thing that you say you like to do is really not my thing. I'll prefer to be on my lane. You be on your lane. If we connect at some point, fine. But yeah, I'm not really willing to jump on your train. Hey, Rono. Just run. I tell you the truth. Run. All right? Anyone who would only stay in your life if you lose your dream should not be in your life to start with. And I'm going to share with you a law in scripture. All right? It's called, <laughs> I call it the law of desire. Or you can also call it the law of desperation. Hey, I think I prefer the law of desperation. It's a very interesting law in scripture. It's a very interesting law. How, how come, how come God expects a level of desperation and desire to be demonstrated towards a dream before he is justified to give an answer to that dream? How come he expects a level of desire and desperation? The reason is because, listen, if he does not increase the demand of desire and desperation upon which a dream is demanded, if he does not increase that level of standard in desperation, that means every whim, every wish, every sigh will be answered. That means God will never really know you need something except desire and desperation is given in exchange for that dream. That is, if he answers every, every whim, every you know, small prayer, every sigh, you can receive that answer and then throw it away and be looking for another thing again. He does not really know. He can't really verify that you really need that thing if you have not really desperated for it. If you have not been desperate for that which you say you want, we don't know if you really want it. We don't know. It is desperation and desire you use in validating your demands and requests. This is why God does not answer wishes. He answers prayers. Because there is a level of desire and desperation that is factored into prayer that makes it called prayer. If it is a sweat, sweat type of communication, we know this one is just play. You are just playing. It's not yet prayer. When it becomes prayer, then you get God's attention. Because there is a level of desperation and desire that justifies an answer. There is a level. If you have not shown that level of resilience, desperation, and desire, God is not sure if you mean what you are saying. Because he can give you what you have asked for in two minutes. And after you collect it in two minutes, you have no value for the things you have received. You also have no value for the person who gave you that which you have received. There is no value exchange in any way. So God says, hey, 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 I'm not sure you need me. Except, and until you have searched for me with all of your heart. Once I come into your heart, I know you are also part of the party. He doesn't want to be the only party in your party. He doesn't want to come into your life uninvited. He doesn't want to come into your life when you have not really desperately searched for him because he can come in and you don't even recognize him. He can come in and you don't even notice because you are not desperate, because you are not in search, because you are not hungry. You are not thirsty enough. So when you walked in, you didn't even notice. You just thought it was one of those guests that showed up in your party. He doesn't want to be the only party in your party. He wants you to participate. He wants you to be able to enjoy the benefit of his presence. So he says, yeah, I'm just going to wait a little longer. I'm just going to wait until you have 
shown a level of desperation that justifies my appearance, or do you have shown a level of desperation that justifies my presence in your life? It is not because he wants to just make you suffer for nothing for his presence. No, it is so that you can benefit from his presence when he eventually shows up. It is so that you can really benefit because if you have not cried for him when he shows up, you will take him for granted. You will take him for granted because in two minutes you cried, he showed up. Uh, you can as well chill when you after you come and because it's just another two minutes it will cost you and you'll get him again for another one hour so he says there is a law in god called the law of desire and desperation why how come how come how come the bush was burning not a single voice came until moses turned to look until moses turned until moses turned the bush did not speak until moses turned the bush did not say a word to him how come god was waiting for him to show interest before he began god was there hoping this guy would just turn hoping this guy would just show some interest some desire some curiosity so that he can justify his speaking because if he speaks without moses looking moses will still not hear and so it is for Moses' benefit that he must be desperate. There's a level of desperation. What was Jesus looking for on the boat? What was he looking for on the high sea? He was just, he was looking for his disciples. He was literally going to meet his disciples. Then he got to his disciples and he continued moving forward as if he didn't care about them. You see, ah, yeah, Catalia. And once he got there, he was going as if, and then they say, hey, Jesus, where are you going to? You came for us. Don't leave us here. Don't leave us on the high sea. And then he showed up and entered. He wanted to come in the first place. But it would only benefit them if they showed desire and desperation. We are in a mortal realm. Desperation is a currency in the realm of the spirit. Oh, I hope you guys are still with me tonight. We're still on the spirit of excellence. This is how dreams come true. <laughs> this is how dreams come true. This is how dreams are interpreted. This is how dreams come true. Glory to God. Glory to God. It's the law of desperation. It's the law that validates your intention. Without a vehement dose of desire and desperation, God is not aware of what you truly want. God recognizes that law and often yields to its pressure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In another context, it's called importunity. Your desire is like a chisel that fashions out the reality of your dreams. Anything you seem to want but can also do without Guess what? You will do without it. Anything you say, you seem to want it. But you know what? I can as well do without it. Guess what? For the rest of your life, you would as well do without it. Because you don't want it enough. You don't want it badly enough. You don't want it strongly enough. Your desperation is not strong enough to command its presence in your life. You, you can as well do without it. All right? But every, anything you know you cannot do without, you will find a way to get it. Your desire, your desperation is what convinces God. That what you seek is indeed deserving of being answered. Are you still with me? Arros de valida. It's the same thing with God. God must insist on your desperation so that his presence will not be wasted in your life. He insists on being desired. He, he, he insists on being tested for. He insists. He insists on being hungered for. He insists. Ha! He says, so anyone who comes to him, he sends them away. He doesn't need such people. He says, but those who have come hungry and thirsty, he will satisfy them with good things. But guess what? Once they get filled, he sends them away again. That means our race in Christianity is a race for perpetual hunger and satisfaction. Hunger and satisfaction is a cycle that must never end. The moment you are getting hungry, you are getting filled. As you are getting filled, get hungry again so that you can be filled once again. And once you are filled, you must not be filled. Because once you are filled, you must get empty again so that you can be desperate again. Once you are filled, then you get desperate again because the moment you stop being desperate, God show, God stops showing up. He stops filling you, and He sends you away empty. 
Now, is it not funny? He says, those that were rich, he sent them away empty. That means they didn't really have, even though they called themselves rich. That means you're richer, Yakata. That means, listen, God sees you as empty, but you think you are rich. That means, listen, this whole riches thing is an attitude. There is a way you come, even though you are empty, but you come as a rich, God will send you away. And Bible says, while you are going, you are empty already. Because his evaluation of you is that you're actually empty because you do not have help. He has not filled you, so you are actually empty. But you assume that you had something. You assume you had some achievement. You assume you had some level of pedigree and resources. And so you came to him with a toga of arrogance. You came to him with a sense of entitlement. And so you came and said, well, God has no choice than to answer our type. We are the type that God answers. No, sir. It is hungry types that he answers. It is desperate people that he shows up for. It is hungry people, empty people, thirsty people that he shows up for. Anyone who comes with a sense of riches, he sends them away empty. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Why will God still knock the door of your heart? Because he wants you to be the one to open the door. If he does not wait for you to show desperation before showing up, you can as well come in and he will say, no, 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 no. I didn't call you to come. Ah, uh, no, no, no. I only said, I didn't really mean that prayer. I just said it. It was, I didn't mean it. Please, just be going back, please. And you may run the risk of Adam that it will show up after two minutes of prayer and then you get it answered and you throw it back to him and say, is this thing you gave me? I didn't really want it. I, it's not really my thing. You know, it's not really my thing. And God says, no, 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 let me wait. There is a decibel I'm looking for in the realm of the spirit. There is a level of volume and anticipation and desperation and fervency and expectation. There is a second level I'm waiting for. Once it hits that cutoff, I will show up. <laughs> That's the cutoff mark of desperation. All right. Praise the name of the Lord. There is a there is a way. In the same vein, there is a way you must pursue your dreams to justify their experience in your life. That they will show up. You must pay something. God, you must pay something. Listen to this. Your desire and your desperation, they are like junior. All right. Only that this time their policy is that. They don't pay on arrival. You don't, you don't pay on delivery, rather. All right? You've got to pay in advance. That is how your dreams are. They wait until you show a certain level of desire and desperation before they leave their location in your direction. If you do not demonstrate a certain level of desire and desperation, they will not leave. You are waiting for the dream to show up before you show excitement and desperation and, and desire. That's the challenge. You are waiting for the thing to begin to look likely. They will never look likely. While you are waiting for it to look like, they will never look likely. They are waiting for you to show a certain level of desire and desperation. Then they will receive an alert of your desire and desperation, then they will move from their location in your direction. But guess what? You will not also be waiting for them to show up. You will also run in their direction. And that's the only chance that you will catch them there. Because Bible says in Abacom chapter two, it begins to talk about how that, you know, Jesus, God answered and said unto them. He says, write the vision and make it play. He says that they may run, that read it. That is, there is a certain level of haste that comes with understanding that a vision that has been written requires haste for performance and fulfillment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That means it is one vision, but a thousand and one people can be running based on that vision. There is, listen, listen to this. No vision is committed and loyal. Visions are not committed. They are not loyal. They are about the most promiscuous things you would ever know in your life. There is nothing like a vision is committed to me. You know, people say things like, oh, ah, that thing, and I thought about it first. No, there's nothing like that. 
Visions are the most, do you understand what I'm saying? They are not loyal. They are not committed. You are the one that must demonstrate a certain level of commitment. You are the one that must demonstrate a certain level of desperation. You are the one that must demonstrate a certain level of desire. Once you have seen that vision, understand that thousand and one people are running after it. Someone, somebody is running at the same pace. And until you show a certain level of desperation that justifies the experience of that dream coming to pass in your life, that dream is very most likely to elude you. Because listen to what he says. He says, write the vision, make it plain, that they may run that read it. He says, for the vision is for an appointed time. <laughs> he says, the vision is for an appointed time. He says, even though it tarries, wait for it. It will not tarry. And it looks a bit contradictory. You just said we should run. Now you're saying we should wait. What are you really saying? Are we running or waiting? Which one? You see, understand. The run there is talking about a sense of desperation and urgency, a, a dissatisfaction with time wasting. That is, you are not interested in wasting any more time because for every time you waste it, somebody's running. Running after the same vision that you say is, is committed to you. Don't stop thinking like that. That vision is not committed to anybody, but it has a minimum requirement of performance. People must show that minimum requirement of performance before it can show up. You pay it in desire and desperation. Once you pay it, it begins to come in your direction. But guess what? As it's coming, you better be coming in its direction as well. As it's coming, you better be coming because whoever meets it first on the way the one it will perform itself to. are you hearing the moment it receives the alert of your desire and your desperation it leaves its location but guess what you, you are waiting for it and so the guy who took off the moment he saw it is the one that will see that vision midway but you you know you, you know that first one he's talking about he's talking about the sense of urgency and desperation and desire but the second dimension which is when he's saying wait for it he's talking about consistency he's saying don't stop running don't stop running stay at the level of stability let your race be consistent it may not show up the first year it may not show up the second year it may not show up the third year but don't stop don't wait be not weary well doing but you shall risk if you faint not He's talking about not fainting when he says, wait for it. That is, continue to do the things you've been doing. Continue to run. Continue to work patiently. Because while you are running, others are dropping off. While you are running, others are getting tired. While you are running, others are taking a break. While you are running, others are taking vacation. By the time the dream which left, oh God. By the time the dream which left its location, the moment you show desire shows up. You are the only one that is there to receive the performance of that dream. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you showed desperation. You showed desire, you showed commitment, you showed consistency. Dreams are not faithful. Dreams and visions are not faithful. Praise the name of the Lord. You are the one to show a level of desperation and desire and commitment and loyalty. You are the one that must run and never stop running. Bible says for the visions for an appointed time. You see, listen, the first few seasons of the life of a vision, you are not you are not expecting the vision to speak. It is you that will be speaking for the vision. Every single time the vision is expected to speak, it is your voice that will be will hear. Whenever the investors want to hear about the dream, the vision, the idea, the structure, the model, the business model, canvas, everything, the pitch, it is your voice we must be hearing. You are the one speaking for that vision for that first season of its life, all right? But it will get to a time that the vision will catch up with you. And then it will begin to speak for you. That even before they know your name, they've seen your brand. Because the vision has begun and has taken up the life of its own. And it begins to express itself upon the face of the earth. But it is only there to justify the vehement resilience 
of the one who began that vision, of the one who ran when he saw the vision that was written upon the tables. All right, he's just there to continue to reward. He says, wait for it, for it shall speak. It shall yet speak. He said, it will not tire. Wait for it. Wait for it. So tag your neighbor and say, the dream is coming. The dream is coming. The dream is coming. Tag your e-neighbor right now and say, the dream is coming. The second title of my teaching tonight is, the dream is coming. The dream is coming. <laughs> do, not, do not be deceived. Hallelujah. Whatever you sow, you will reap. The dream is coming. The dream is coming. If you will sow resilience, commitment, and faithfulness, the dream is coming to justify every of the ounce of sweat and blood that you have spent on that path. It will come to justify it. It will come to justify every amount of investment. It is coming. The dream is coming. Do not be deceived to assume that everything you're doing is in waste. No, the dream is coming. The dream is going to be performed. The dream will speak. It will not hurry. The dream is coming. But are, are you worth the dream being performed for? If the dream comes, will you be worth it? Will you be worth it? Have you shown enough Enough zest, enough passion, enough desire, enough desperation to justify the performance of that dream. Have you? All right. <laughs> desire is an attitude that defies negativity. It just doesn't matter how much is said against you. You will not bow to the winds of opinions. Remember Luke chapter 18, blind Bathemius. Blind Bathemius sat by the wayside begging. Isn't it interesting that people who are blind, for example, their other senses are heightened to compensate for the deficiency of what they do not have. Oh, dear God. This guy, Bible says, he saw, a, he heard a lot of footsteps. You know, he, he sat there every day, begging every day. He had never seen that level of footfall in one day. How several people, several pairs of legs were just droving and, you know, just walking past him and was like, what is going on? I cannot see, but I know there is a difference in today. This is not just a market square day. This is not just some politician going by. Something is happening. And he asked those that were around him, hey, what is going on here? This is quite unusual. The football in this area and this arena is, is quite unusual. It, it picks the curiosity. What is going on? And they said, well, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Glory to God. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Glory to God. Perhaps he had also been hearing about Jesus. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. There was something about Jesus he had heard. That which he had heard is what sponsored what he said next. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus Christ, sorry, sorry, the son of David, not Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, the son of David, have mercy on me. And the first time he said it, I'm sure Jesus heard. Because again, he wants to be sure you really, you really, really desire what you're asking for. Because he, he can give you this thing and then you really don't need it. And I just assumed, I took, I just thought you needed it. God doesn't, he's not presumptuous. So if you don't want it, he won't give you. If you don't want it badly enough, because he doesn't want anybody to come and say, the wife you gave me, did you ask me for it? I gave you. So you were the one that asked for it. Not like I gave you what I thought you needed, whereas you were not badly in need of it to justify my giving you now the thing has turned sour and you're saying the woman you gave me so so jesus had the first time i refused to respond and then of course the next day i showed up again remember the astrologers and the magicians they showed up again and said hey keep quiet jesus doesn't have the time for your type he doesn't attend to beggarly elements he doesn't attend to people who are so lowly in their state who have no money he doesn't attend to people who are blind 
deformed, maimed. No, 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 no. Those guys don't even show up in the temple according to the Jewish Levitical order of priesthood. So um, Jesus has no time to attend to your lowly needs. And glory to God. Blind Bartimaeus' desire to see was much stronger than their desire to keep him shut. And so he cried out even louder and said, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus stopped in his track and said, go bring him in. Hallelujah. And then they brought blind Bartimaeus. And you would imagine that Jesus just opened his eyes. He said, what do you want me to do? Ah, ah, ah. Jesus now. Jesus now. Person way blind, come your front. Talk, say, have mercy on me. You are still asking him, what do you? That's exactly the nature of the transactions in the spirit. It does not matter how poor you are. If you do not show up with the desire to be wealthy, guess what? You can stand up presence for the rest of your life. And you will live broke as much as you can. Because if you do not say you want wealth, God doesn't know, really. Even though he really knows, do you understand? But he does not know if you really want it. Because this man came blind, asked jesus for mercy and jesus still looked at him and said what may i do for you but jesus can't you see this guy's blind why well, still need him to verbalize his request why well, still need him to show desire and desperation for that which he truly obviously needs but jesus said what do you want me to do for you and then he said that i may receive my sight Ooh. and glory to god the bible says jesus told him and he said, your faith has made you whole. He says, be healed. And that was how this guy began to see. He showed desperation. He cried out even louder. Even when the naysayers began to sound so strong around him and everybody was telling him, no, uh, this is not possible. Whatever it is you're asking for is not something that God does. This is not even possible among the realms of the mortals. The Bible says he cried even louder. That means even if you do not have some level of resources, that is, this guy could not see. The people outside of him were more competent to tell him the state of his life. These guys had the PhDs, the Harvard Business School reviews. They had all the insight and soundness of mind and intelligence and research to back up their claims, telling you that it is not possible. These guys were more able-bodied than this man. This man, yet was not going to be silenced by the sound of intelligent naysayers. It does not matter how intelligent the naysayers are. If your voice will not be shut down, your dreams will come to pass. Tell your e-neighbor again, say the dream is coming, the dream is coming, the dream is coming. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes. The dream is coming, the dream is coming. As I'm walking towards the dream, the dream is coming towards me. As I'm running towards the dream, the dream is running towards me. In fact, the dream takes the posture of my desperation. The more desperate I show, ayakota prezi, like a town of Malaya. The more desperation I show towards my dream, the more desperation the dream shows towards me, the more passion and zest I show towards my dream, the more passion and zest the dream shows towards me. The faster I run at the dream, the faster the dream runs towards me. The dream is coming, the dream is coming. I will not be silenced by naysayers. It doesn't matter how intelligent, how rich, how wealthy, how connected they are. It really doesn't matter who they are, where they are. It doesn't matter. My own desire to see must just be louder than their desires to keep me shut. That's all. That's all. That's all. Blind Bartimaeus cried louder when the negativity came his way. His desire would not let the negativity have sway. He desired to see much more than the people desire to keep him shut. The bigger the desire, oh yeah, the bigger the victory. And guess what? The bigger desire won. All right, which, 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 which side are you on? The bigger desire actually won. The desire to see outweigh the desire of a multitude. Imagine, this is the desire of one blind, limited man. 
against the desire of a whole company, an army of naysayers, and his own desire still won. Listen, you don't lose without your own permission. If he had lost that battle that day, it was because he permitted it. You don't lose without your own permission. You don't lose without your own permission. So do not give yourself the permission to lose. Do not give up steam just yet. Do not give up hope just, just yet. Do not give up that dream and that desire just yet. Continue to persist. Continue to persist. Listen, this is not me trying to just motivate you, all right? This is fire in your bones. This is scripture, right? This is spiritual, all right? Combustion happening. Spiritual combustion. God is putting fire into your bones so that he can turbocharge your faith. So that you will not give up the next time you have the feelings to do so. Remember the things that we learned in recent, in recent weeks. Pastor Mike shared on pressure last week. Pastor Itoro shared on doing hard things on Monday. This is just to, you know, charge us and just provide some context. This is the, this is the warden season. Do not give yourself over to that demon called soft life. I'm telling you, uh, I'm certain there's a demon in hell called soft life. It was sent by hell to sabotage every of your dreams, and it will not come to pass in the name of Jesus. It will not be your portion that your dreams will be sabotaged. Just because of this, your desperate desire for soft life, God forbid, God forbid. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh dear God, time is running. So my question to you today is, how big is your desire? Have you ever attempted to do something and have everyone around you tell you it's not possible? That this one cannot be done. <laughs> Remember Toby Amoso, I mean, she's training for the past few days, so we can as well slot her into our teaching material. Praise God. I mean, since 2016, and perhaps way before then, this girl had been dreaming that one day I'm coming for this world champion or this, this world record. I'm coming for this world record. We don't know how much she did in, 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 behind the scenes. We don't know how much she sacrificed. We don't know how much extreme measure she took. Listen, there's no such thing as extreme measures. There's no such thing as that. No such thing as extreme. No such thing. Extreme in the books of the one who won is just whatever it takes. That is what extreme means in their own records. It is extreme to you because you have a cutoff point for pressure. You have a cutoff point for effort. You have a cutoff point for desperation. So the moment anything gets to a place where it is demanding much more than you are willing to give, you say it is an extreme thing. No, for the person who is more desperate than comfortable, the guy will say, it is just what it takes, I'll give it. If, it is, if this is what it takes, I'll give it. If this is what it takes, everyday practice, I will give it. If it is every day reading the Bible, I will give whatever it takes. Whatever it takes in that person's record is, is what you called is what you called extreme measures. There's no such thing as extreme, especially for the one who, who carries the gold. There's no such thing. All right. You know what you saw. You know what you encountered. You know what you saw in your dreams. You know what you saw in that vision. You you know what you saw. You know what you saw. Oh, dear God. And even if you didn't know what you saw, you know there's fire in your bones, just like Nebuchadnezzar. He couldn't really quite conceptualize what he saw, but he knew that once he sees it, he will recognize it. There are some dreams like that. They may not be as clear as Joseph's dreams, but you just know there's fire somewhere. There is something inside of you. If you continue to persist in the study of the word, if you continue to persist in prayers, if you continue to persist in service of the kingdom of God, you will stumble on that dream. And once you stumble on it, once somebody gives a picture of it, you will recognize it. I have seen this thing somewhere. This is the dream I've been pursuing all my life. Because your desperation is a navigating device. 
if you will show desperation to a dream, even though you may not be able to paint it, you are going in, the, in its direction. <laughs> you are going in its direction. Even though you may not be able to paint it in exact features, you are going in its direction of performance. If you will not just stop, if you will continue to pay the price of persistence, consistency, pressure, desire, and desperation. All right, you know what you saw, you know what you encountered. Never be bullied into giving up your dreams because everyone isn't bowing to it. Everyone may not be bowing to your dreams. You are the one that must not bow to the pressures of the environment. The natural reaction to your dreams would always be cynicism, discouragement, and misunderstanding. People who didn't receive the dream, how exactly do you want them to react? They don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. So wait, you want them to now, wait, you, you want them to say, yeah, come on, explain it to us so that we can understand. Is that what you want? They don't understand it. The way they will respond to it is that you are foolish. All right, the things of the spirit are foolishness to them who do not understand. It is foolishness. How can they understand? They were not the ones given the dream. They were not the ones given the, the vision. How could they understand? They, they will respond with cynicism, discouragement, and misunderstanding, but do not ex, do not don't expect everyone to believe your dreams. God didn't give them the dream, He gave you. And there is a dimension of stubbornness you must demonstrate towards your God-given visions. When it comes to the matter of dreams, awake the Nebuchadnezzar in you. This is why God gave that dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Because only Nebuchadnezzar will fight till the end, until that dream is, is interpreted and, and, and comes to life. You see, it is the Nebuchadnezzar in you that can fulfill your dreams. <laughs> oh, the Nebuchadnezzarization of things. That resilient dimension never backs down. Look at the length King Nebuchadnezzar was willing to go just so he could give his dream a chance of survival. How far are you willing to go? What is your dream really worth? Let the passion possess you so much, you are willing to forgo everything and anything. The day you settle and agree with the evaluation of the environment on the validity of your dreams, that is the day you lose your dream to people who aren't even deserving of it. I'll say that again. The day you, you settle and agree with the evaluation of the environment on the validity of your dreams, that is the day you lose your dream to people who aren't even deserving of it. How does a random lady from Nigeria become a world champion and break two world records in one night? You can see the trajectory. It is clear the path that she took to victory. It is clear. Ah, yeah, she never stopped pushing. This soft life pandemic is an attempt from hell to cancel all your God-given dreams. Do not let it. Do not let it. It's a pandemic of soft life. There's a pandemic of soft life out there. I just want to leave a soft life be taken care of. But the path of sons is full of thorns. The path of sons is full of thorns. And that's the only path that also guarantees the crowns. The path of sons is full of thorns. And that's the only path that also guarantees the crowns. There is a lot of denying, defying, condemning the world that goes on in the mind of a champion. Will you continue with that dream, even if you are the only surviving voice in your camp? Nebuchadnezzar risked being called ridiculous names, phony, obnoxious, weird, but he didn't back down. His resilience was eventually justified by an interpretation. How much is your commitment to your dreams worth? One job opportunity and your dream is in the mud. One contract and you have forgotten what burns in your heart. One relationship and you have no idea who you used to be. Look at the magnitude of the dream. This is a dream that would literally place the whole world on a timeline. Look at the magnitude of the dream that God placed in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. We are still literally living in this dream. We are still living the dream of Nebuchadnezzar right now. This guy dreamt this dream 600 BC. 
years down the line, 2,022 years after that Christ came. Remember, this is 600 BC. So this is literally 2,622 years. After this dream was dreamt, we are still living in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar because he would not give up that dream. Because he would not give up that dream. Hey, we are still living in his dream. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Brazil attire. Your dreams are designed to create a dynasty out of your life. Your, your dreams are designed to immortalize your impact. But if you give up on your dream, you have also given up on your legacy. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. We still are living, literally till right now, we are living in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Nebuchadnezzar is the timekeeper of his life. He captured, in essence, the dream that will set forth the time bound of the world the way we know it today. This man, he captured it in a dream. And then you think he will give it up just because somebody said it's not possible for it to be, to be interpreted. Ah, no, it's not possible now. So eh, let's just all go back to sleep and life continues as normal. No, everybody will die until this dream. Do you understand? Everybody. That is, he exalted the value of that dream over and above the value of every naysayer. It does not matter what anybody said against that dream. Listen, what is your own value towards that dream? That's what really matters. Are you willing to sacrifice that dream just so that you can gain social acceptance? You gain social acceptance and then you lose relevance. You lose significance. You lose legacy. God forbid. Your dream is coming. Your dream is coming. Your dream is coming. We are still living in Kingdom Bukhanisa's dream till today. I remember seeing Dr. Miles in December 2015. He had just died November 9, 2015. I went for administration in Oyo State. And then I had a quick nap before the administration. It was a very long trip. So just at the vicar's office, I slept for about 15 minutes and I saw Dr. Miles in my dreams. And he, he got tired, tired. I read this man so much. I read, I read this man. Everybody in my leadership read Dr. Miles. I read him so much. People came to ask me, why did he die? I said, I'm God. Like, <laughs> am I, did he send me a text before he died or something? I mean, that was how much I had eaten this guy. So I saw him in December that year. And this man looked at my hand. He was wearing the exact same dress he wore in this book in charge. A white shirt rolled up to his sleeves. And then this very patterned suit, um, patterned tie. And of course, his, his suspenders. And then with a gold chain on his right hand. And then a gold wristwatch on his left. And in black trousers and his nice shoes. And he shook my hand and said, hey, dummy. I said, yes. He said, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Ha, I'm not dead. Great people do not die. They only move from living on earth to living in hearts. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They move from living on earth to living in hearts because they did not give up on their dreams. That is the only way to immortalize your impact. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's the only way. If you will give up on your dreams, your dreams will give up on you. It's that simple. They are not even committed to start with. They'll just look for another person who is willing to give you what it takes. And they will bless that person's life with a performance. That's exactly what they will do. Why didn't God put this dream in the heart of a kind, nice man? Why not a cute little child of God? Is it because God doesn't want to bless Christians? It is because God understands the limitation of a nice man. And he knows that at the first expression of doubt over his dreams, he will give up the significance, his significance for social acceptance. So he gave the dream to a man who does not understand no. A man who doesn't understand impossibility. A man who won't stop until his dreams becomes an interpretation. A man who doesn't care about what people think of him. There is a dimension of that king that we must all awaken in our hearts. God has too many sons who give up on life at the slightest sight of resistance. Life will not just bow to you. You are, <laughs> you are the one who will insist on what you want. 
Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Please go back to the sessions we've been having. Do hard things. Go read it up again. Go to Pastor Mike's teaching on, on uh, you know, last week, talking about putting pressure on your, on your vision. King Nebuchadnezzar went to extreme measures just so that his dream will stand a chance of survival. Have you gone to extreme measures for the sake of your dreams? I told you about how Andrew Womack, sorry, I'm having to just read my notes so that I won't, I won't take more time. Praise God. I told you of how Andrew Womack will read the Bible 16 hours a day and place a hot lantern just underneath his head in case he slept, just so he could become an effective teacher of God's word. Uncle Ro, of course, we know him. He will go into the forest. And I heard back in the day, he will scream in the forest just to exercise his vocal muscles. I knew a guy back then, they called him Timo Sticks. This guy, before he gained admission, he spent several years, <laughs> jammed, jammed his life. And so he didn't have much to do. So he would go to the church every single day, seven hours a day, he was practicing the drums, practicing the drum for several years. By the time he came on campus, he was the best drummer on campus in part one. This guy was already drumming in the fellowship before he did Foundation Bible School. He was too good to stay on the seat he was too good to be kept on the pews he was too good he was the best on campus he was just a part one boy you see when excellence shows up because desperation was given in exchange for it everybody bows to it do you understand what i'm saying what have you done what have you done to justify the performance of that dream what have you done extreme actually does not exist for the man who is on the mission what you call extreme in your own books is only known as whatever it takes in the arts you have a cut I already explained this earlier on. You have a cutoff for your efforts. That's why you recognize some measures as extreme. But they don't. Once the dream requires a measure you have considered too extreme, you let go of the dream and hold on to your little life. God forbid. The Syrophoenician woman didn't have a cutoff for her efforts in saving her child. Whatever it took was, was what she was going to give it, including assuming the posture of a dog. Success. Listen to this. This is where I end it. Success is often a function of what you achieved in spite of and not what you achieved because of. Success is often a function of what you achieved in spite of and not what you achieved because of. Awake the Nebuchadnezzar in you. Praise the name of the Lord. Your dream is coming. Tell your neighbor for the last time. The dream is coming. The dream is coming. My dream is coming. My dream is coming. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I'll give every single amount of zest, passion, desire, and desperation to justify the performance of that dream in my life. Praise the name of the Lord. I ask that in the name of Jesus, we are established in this truth and in all righteousness in Jesus' name. Nebuchadnezzarization of things. God bless your hearts. Thank you for having me tonight. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless your heart. Amen. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.